0: What Brings You In Today is produced by medical students at the University of Wisconsin. As medical students, we are not fully trained physicians or licensed to practice medicine. The information presented here is for entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, treatment, or education. To preserve privacy and maintain patient confidentiality, identifying details about patients were changed for this podcast. All opinions expressed belong to the speaker, not their institution or employer. I'm and I'm Lee Berman, and this is what brings you in today—sharing stories and experiences from within the medical field.
1: So, tell me, what brings you in today?
0: As Ashley said in our last episode, a lot has to change in medicine. For this week's episode, we wanted to find out how our medical school sees its role in redesigning health systems made to benefit the privileged few. We talked with Dr. Tracy Downs, urologist and Associate Dean for Diversity and Multicultural Affairs, about UWS and PH's new and ongoing anti-racism efforts.
1: Dr. Downs, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us today. Before we dive into our topic about racism in medicine from a more institutional aspect, We want to take this opportunity to get to know you a little better. So my first question for you today is, how would you describe yourself outside of the medical field?
2: Yeah, um, Omar, thank you for the question. And I, um, yeah, definitely outside of medicine, I describe myself as, I don't know if I have a good sense of humor, but (laughs) laughing and um, not being so formal. I um, I love spending time with my family. I, I like sports a lot and just and being outdoors. So pretty laid back <laughs> and like to laugh and have fun and maybe in some ways be a, a little bit silly. That's awesome.
0: It's always really great to hear about our lecturers and professors' lives outside of the hospital. So thanks for sharing that. Um, Dr. Downs, as you know, we wanted to have you on the podcast today to talk about your administrative roles specifically related to uwSmph's new anti-racism policies that you guys put forward just a few months ago. So can you tell us more about those anti-racism efforts and what it was like to work on those from an administrative standpoint?
2: Yeah, so there's a lot of folks actually working on the anti-racism efforts. And and so I know I that many of them are are kind of preliminary at the moment. But I do want to make a couple of distinctions that I think are very positive um, and, and also kind of maybe the flow or the process of maybe even getting to this point. So one of the knocks you could say on Wisconsin, right, is we're a predominantly white state. We're very homogeneous. We don't have a you know, ton of numbers. Madison's not Milwaukee. Uh, it's not Chicago. It's not a lot of major cities. Well, interesting enough, I think med school numbers in terms of demographics from a racial, ethnic, gender perspective are very similar. So, you know, whether you're in New York City, you're in Philadelphia, probably pretty much most medical school classes look the same. And definitely when you get to the faculty level, even the same or, you know, or different. And, and so what I've noticed around the country and where we were so much more ahead is people were still talking about, you know, old terms like cultural competency or, you know, things of, you know, implicit bias. And those are really important things. But we had already had those conversations, knew what implicit or conscious bias meant. And now we were taking the next step in terms of um, let's talk about diversity and then let's talk about inclusivity. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, little bitty Madison in the middle of the country, I felt was actually a lot further along than several other places in more heterogeneous um, cities. So I never felt intimidated like, oh, Chicago's doing this or not. I always knew that we started kind of at the same starting line and, and, and I could tell if they were at the level or, or behind us. And a lot of that, I think, has to go with our School of Medicine and Public Health and our understanding of the social determinants of health. Right. And so where I think some of the pivot goes is, right, we're so um, social determinants of health, health is make a difference. And that's important um, for sure. But now, you know, really anti-racism. It's kind of, a, it's different. It's very different. And so now we're into this phase where people are trying to understand what does that mean? And we're not all on the same page, um, I would say, outside of the diversity space, because some people are thinking, we've invested this much in health equity. And then, so then we've invested this much in anti-racism and, and they're not. And so some of it is the vocabulary. What are the, you know, kind of the, you know, tenets of systemic racism? You know, what are those things? And, and this is, will be a big challenge for all of um, medicine and humanity. And, and, and you guys will probably either maybe succumb to some of the things we have up to this point in our career or hopefully change the narrative. Is that we have to get outside of medicine in some regards, like for example, what you know, when we start to think about, say, you know, criminalization in terms of things of that nature. Well, that kind of doesn't fit under health equity or doesn't fit under medicine. But do we have any partners that are working in that direction? And we definitely have funding mechanisms within the School of Medicine and Public Health that can allow us to venture into those areas. What about um, the horrible things we're seeing depending, you know, depends on where you fall on this with police brutality. I mean, you you could say a lot of things, right? There's so many details of those cases that none of us are privy to. Oh, well, this person was a threat or this person wasn't a threat. But at the end of the day, if everyone kept coming to our hospital and if 80 percent of the say, one ethnic group and in a certain age group uh, came into our hospital and a certain gender were dying, we'd be investigated, right? We'd lose our license. We wouldn't use a certification. You know, people are like, well, if you're of that race and you go to that hospital, you don't come home. And, and I think that's what we're seeing with policing. And those are great opportunities for us, right? We do simulation. You know, you guys have done it where you have the training of the patient interactions. And so, I think there's some opportunities. We we're, we're we understand the concept of um, safety. Um, we understand a rehearsal. We understand simulation. And And I think that's something we could do in terms of you know, kind of looking at systemic racism. So those are a few things. Yeah, and people are working on designing curriculum. They want to roll out to kind of Black Indigenous people of color, and then also a curriculum that would be more for people who um, are not and are kind of would be in in the white category.
0: How would that look on like the institutional basis? Like how would how would the curricular changes actually develop and be implemented?
2: Yeah, good question. Well, I think at first it's it's um, yeah, where we are now is I would say the maybe the Black Indigenous people of color curriculum is probably already developed, and and the goal would be to look at trying to maybe launch that before uh, in the in the fall, and then the curriculum geared towards people who are not of that ethnic background in the um, in the winter slash spring. And at first, I think it was just more learning. Before maybe how to utilize it or implement it, and um, and I think from that point it may be what are some areas that we see that we're struggling in that could be some easy wins, and and I think while right the examples I gave were kind of outside of the institution, and I think within the institution people are seeing well how do we treat each other in terms of you know kind of you know just fairness um, whether that is. From if we all were on the same rotation, you know, would would we be treated fairly? Would someone question me about, you know, my accent, or would they suddenly, you know, look to one gender to ask answer all the questions first, and then give the more, you know, kind of esoteric answers later for one group? So, um, so I think a lot of that hopefully makes us feel more like we belong. And that there's many different types of students and many types of staff, and that there's more than one version of what is a, you know, is a person who's excelling.
1: Yeah, and specifically referring to our medical school community, I know there has been efforts to increase the numbers of students from underrepresented and diverse backgrounds. But what changes and what conversations are being held to also increase the support and the retention of these students?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. So going back to one thing that the SNMA students did by establishing a chapter of white coats for (laughs) is um, that um, kind of movement actually has a scorecard looking at different metrics from a faculty representation, student (laughs) representation, you know, grades. Uh, graduation rate, and Mm -hmm. and we've really taken that to heart, and I'm working with one of the uh, associate deans, uh, Dean Christy Seibert, and and, um, uh, looking at that and figure out what what grades would we give ourselves right now, and then trying to figure out what are things that we think we can analyze and share with, with you all about where where we are, and, mm-hmm. um, and so you know, one of those initiatives are we're trying to figure out: are maybe when students have to go before the standards promotion, if they're struggling, um, you know, in a subject matter, you know, how do how do we, um, you know, you know, a common question that comes up is is that percentage the same for you know, URM students and non-URM students? And, and to be honest, right now, we, we don't, I can't give you an answer why, because we don't know. Because a lot of the data hasn't been analyzed in a way. And then one of the challenges of analyzing that data is similar to research and say, really, really small populations. Is sometimes the populations are so small, you can actually know who, this, who the person is. Yeah. And so there's that um, sensitivity to that type of data.
1: How can we kind of ensure not only accountability, but that these changes keep moving along and that there is continuous change um, in the school and in the institution?
2: Yeah, I, you know, I, I think it, it goes back to, you know, I, I think that awareness and the culture and so, and then having, you know, are we in a place where you ever can have, um, and have what I would call constructive conversation?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so, you know, I'm one that's part of my job is so when we see that the last two years of the entering classes have a over 30 percent, 30 percent or higher um, underrepresented uh, in medicine population, that just didn't happen by love. Mm-hmm. That was being very intentional.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And if we um, if we go, you know, at ourselves in the back, go oh, UW, you're amazing. And we, and we take a break. We're going to go down. And um, and so we have to remember to do that. So one accountability is, um, let's say, our external accountability. External accountability is accreditation. So the LCME comes here, you know, usually every 10 years and they say, what, what are you doing? And uh, they definitely said that on our faculty diversity. And, and LCSP is like a, it's like a, a bad, um, it's like a dog who bites who won't let go. (laughs) Once they nibble on something and they go, this is, this is not great. Um, They don't just, you don't clean it up and then you're done. You Keep giving reports back, you know, either on two or three year basis. Like what, how have you moved the needle? So that's a good accountability for, uh, for all medical schools. And then internally, Is uh, us in the diversity efforts making sure that we're a priority like everything else is to discover the human genome on and on. And I think we're in an era of a sensitivity with what's going on in our society. You know, just I mean, it almost feels like we're in at least two different Americas. Maybe it's more than two, but um, but very polarized. So there's an opportunity for us to make significant strides and there's an opportunity for us to lose that opportunity if we if we are complacent. And, and the last part is you guys as um, you have a really unique voice and, and I know that the Dean hears that. I know we all hear it and it reverberates in different ways and you know, us as staff or faculty sometimes. and so there have been a lot of changes positively because you guys have said, you know what's going on with this so one for instance is when students would get their scholarships and then they didn't do good on one semester now there was a time where their scholarships would be uh, and this classic graduate i think two years ago brought that up we changed that policy but you know it's right if you want to you know if you want someone to perform better you often don't turn up the heat even more because now how can you just relax and do your best work when someone's breathing down your neck, Right. you know? So it's like, well, okay, your scholarship at risk. Yeah. But perform better. Oh, you're hungry. And on and on and on. Mm-hmm. And so, so I think those incremental victories and wins are important. And, and I think us knowing being persist, being as being persistent and also patient. So be persistent, but also a little bit patient knowing that it's just not going to happen overnight. It just it just probably nothing does. And it's frustrating at times when you can see maybe what it should look like. And it just doesn't, I know for me, it doesn't materialize as quick as, and this mm-hmm. makes my surgeon mindset of like, you know, let's fix it. And, you know, it hurts. Fix it. It's done. Can I move on to the next thing? and and that mindset doesn't always work in administration <laughs> not at all
0: how do you deal with that frustration because you've mentioned there are so many ways that our institutions need to change to help these projects move further along but there's barriers too so how do you how do you deal with that
2: yeah it's yeah it's it's hard in some ways you know maybe there's a stress relief of getting outside on a nice long bike ride and just to keep your mental sanity. And then I think remember, who am I fighting for? And inevitably, it's, I mean, it is me, but it's it's for you all and it's for others. And so that is always a fountain of youth, so to speak, because um, that inherent motivation, it's, you know, sometimes it's we have a, a college age student and we have our son and we have a, a six year old. So I think a lot about my six year old as I think about what is it going to be like when, you know, I'm in these rooms where it's um, it's all men and it's a few, you know, it's one woman or I'm in the rooms where not it's like all white women and there's like one you know, woman of color and I'm in it, too. And I, I can just see those dynamics. I see how people spin the narrative and can make that person feel uncomfortable. And I think about how to eliminate that, uh, how to inform people, and then also how to prepare my daughter and you all and others that mm-hmm. were in that situation. You know, what do you do? Because many times you can just think that it's in your head, that microaggression, and then it just wears on you and burns you out. So, yeah, I refuel by thinking about who I'm fighting for and I make sure I take time out for myself to make sure I stay healthy and sane.
0: You mentioned like you have in your head this vision of what you want medical education to look like. Um, So if you can put that into words, I think that would be really interesting. I know it's kind of an abstract question.
2: I mean, it's hard, right? You have to get a lot of information in, in such a short time. So I did not envy the med ed people because they have to, they have to make choices. I guess if there are some things that I would change or add to, and it might be my bent with diversity and equity and inclusion would be, and I saw a nice tweet, someone was like, you know, I have to remember the Krebs cycle, but no one's teaching me about systemic racism. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so, right. I'm not going to lie to you guys. You know, I, I could probably, I could, I can figure out the Krebs cycle.
1: (laughs) Better than me. (laughs) No one.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But, and then that, I don't, you know, I can't, I can honestly say if it has impacted me in the last, who knows how many years that I didn't know the Krebs cycle, I didn't know it. Um. (laughs) But, but, you know, not understanding social determinants of health or systemic racism or things like that, that that does. And so mm-hmm. I, I guess the nimbleness to be able to maybe incorporate something like that and not always make it extracurricular. Yes. Because now you, you get preaching to the choir where the people show up or the people are passionate about it. Right. The other part, too, I think, is, you know, we're such a performance driven you know, community is, and I think, again, we, we want to figure out how to encourage that, right, because there are minimal standards that we all need to be at. But we're declaring people as early winners really early, like, you know, fourth year of med school, you're AOA, you're amazing, you know, you're not AOA, I'm sorry, you're not amazing. Well, come talk to me in 10 years and see what those people are doing. Maybe the person who wasn't the AOA has just hit a gear that you didn't know had in that person. And they're doing amazing things with mentoring and amazing things with their community that maybe academics doesn't value, right? Because we value, you know, bill, you know, RVUs or billing and collecting dollars. We value grants. And sometimes those aren't the real difference makers, whereas maybe kindness or compassion or helping our community. So I, I think you, SMPH is at a great point because the population and health of populations is starting to become more and more important. And I think we need to figure, we need to really, the transformative part will be how do we now we take medicine out into the communities and deliver it there or be a part of that? Because that's, you know, that that can make a big difference rather than the older model of medicine. We're we're figuring it out, but we're we're not there yet. We're we're great at identifying it, but implementation is it's just not there. And there's so much work to do. If we just were to take some of what's out there, we don't have to make up brand new things to do.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, we know there are what's called from Amy Kines research who's a faculty here on is it the disadvantage index we know what neighborhoods are disadvantaged we know the disproportionate um, lack of say radiation cancer um, chemotherapy units in certain neighborhoods we know these things and they're they're not random because statistically randomness would look different than intentional you know everything's here to bring business or not to not bring business. And so our benchmark needs to be with community success. So if if I can sleep at night and I'm successful because I've got a grant, my institution's getting big time money, and we go to bed and, you know, South of Madison and other places are not doing as good, then we're still going to be on that same page. But if my success is linked with their success, That's a different story because if they're not successful, I'm not successful. And so we, we need to rise up together. And so that's where departments, you know, what's there, do they have a community benchmark that they need to deliver on Um, pick one, pick anyone there's tons of them and, and then make sure that the salary of that department chair or the department gets a bonus for that. Right. Because living say, here in Madison or Ann Arbor or any college town, hopefully you could say my life is better as a resident of Dane County versus another county in Wisconsin because of the university and SMPH. Those are what we call anchor institutions. So anchor institutions, they raise the whole community with them as they rise. So that's not only from healthcare, but it's like who who gets the contract to build the brand new wimmer building is
3: mm-hmm. it
2: the same people or is it a different group um because that money is going to help you know and then that's where you see the the separation of wealth and um and all those things and now you get you know people who are poor who are sick who are uneducated who seem to have no interest in their health and you're like Seriously, like I'm trying to figure out what am I eating? I'm not figuring out, am I getting, you pick two, I'm figuring out what am I going to eat at all? And they okay. want me to think about my diabetes? No, I'm just, you know, and those are, those are logical thoughts. But the fact that you have to remind people of that mm-hmm. because they're so detached. And um, so those would be some things I think I, I would want to see us go in to, to live out that, model, say it very proudly, we're the School of Medicine and Public
3: Health. What have you mean, i saying.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And kind of, as you were talking, I was thinking the same thing. I think nothing would speak more to the name of School of Medicine and Public Health than to actually, you know, engage the public and act in a way that would sustain and promote their health. And I think that's the way we start. I think Conversations are like this are great and should keep happening because it brings awareness to people that might be detached from it, as you put it. But I think from these conversations, hopefully more action will develop. Um, and I think a lot of that action right now, it's coming from individuals and people. But I think also the institutional part should develop in the same way. Um, and I think. The school putting out those anti-racism effort statements, but also sitting down and listening to SNMA and other students is a good start, and we definitely hope it continues to happen. (laughs) So thank you. Thank you. To redesign medicine, we have to engage in anti-racism efforts at all levels. Let's continue to learn from and support those who are already doing so and take part in making our field more equitable and inclusive. Thanks for listening. Find us on Twitter and
0: Instagram at WBYIT underscore UWSMPH. We'll see you for our follow-up in two weeks.
1: Have a nice day.
3: Funding for What Brings You In Today is provided by the Kern Foundation.